Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Blog, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joe Moniak. Today we have two returning guests, Matthew Lillard and Bill Rayor of Beetle and Grimm. And today we are talking about leveling up published material. Coming up with ideas on how to take what Watsy puts out and tailoring it to your table. The intro's short and sweet, so let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. Today we have one and if God's willing two of the masterminds behind Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse. And right now with me is Bill Rayor. And hopefully, like I said, with, with God's willing, Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard will join us as well. But Bill, thanks for coming back on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So today, we've already talked about it in the intro, but today we're going to be talking about leveling up published materials. And in my head, I was like, who could we talk to about such a topic? Oh, wait, the people doing it at the highest production level out there right now. Those are the people we should talk to. But <laughs> but before we do that, um, we we did do the interview section. So we'll just jump straight to question number two. Is there anything that you're currently working on? And of course, with the joy of NDAs that you can tell us about. <laughs> yes. So uh, we, we, we timed this uh, on purpose because we, um, we, we have a big, exciting announcement. We are doing a, a silver edition for the Ravenloft source book that has been announced by Dungeons and Dragons. So it, it's really, really fun to do boxed editions for these kind of world building books like uh, we did with Eberron a, a while back. This is our, our second chance to do something like this. And it's been a lot of fun. Ravenloft, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, we've actually had a few people asking, well, is this just more Strahd? And Strahd is one of the domains, but there are also um, over a dozen other domains um, that adventurers can go to, that DMs can write adventures for, create uh, experiences for. They're all horror themed. Uh, and I say that word very carefully. Yes. Um, they are horror themed, and um, which is really, really fun because they, they've done a fantastic job of focusing each domain in a very different way, in a different kind of horror. So you can have all kinds of experiences of things that go towards Lovecraft, things that go towards Frankenstein, any any kind of horror uh, movie or book that you can imagine, there's a domain that reflects that in some way or another. So DMs who want to create those kinds of stories have so many new platforms in which to do them. Yeah, the I hope this is either going to sound terrible or it's going to be utterly profound. One of the two. <laughs> I have no middle ground. Might be where, both. Yeah, where it made me think of 
like you said, are, uh, is it just Strahd? The idea that give a DM Strahd, they can scare their players for a night. Give a DM Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, and they can scare their players for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. No, it's absolutely true. And, you know, you can imagine if if you were given, you know, a uh, the, the setting of of Curse of Strahd and, and given the opportunity to explore that yourself and create your own stories out of it, that's what these other domains are like, where, you know, you've got this great structure and lots of information about it. But if you are a creative DM who has the time and the inclination to build your own stories, these are just amazing opportunities to do that. Yeah. And I, I, this is this is quickly getting us to our topic. So, so let's pause for a brief moment. Okay. I'll ask you a surprise question, and then we'll get right in because I, my first thought was to ask you more questions, and it goes straight to our topic. So I'll hold those. Okay. The question I have is, what is your most memorable level up experience in any game? Okay, so let's let's take a moment and define what level up means to you, so I can make sure I'm answering this properly. Okay, so I always think about like, okay, so I've hit level five. And so I think about that that number because like as a wizard, now I'm going to cast fireball, I'm going to cast lightning bolt. And also like some tables do it in what I consider more of a World of Warcraft method where it's just like, da 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 da, I magically know these things mid combat. The others do it where you have to go back, you have to train, you have to go back to like specific areas. You can only do certain things certain ways. So basically like leveling up inside of like a TTRPG game uh, and that experience. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about the character leveling up, not my player experience. Like what, what? Yeah. No, okay. we are now. Wait, what are you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So I'll give two, I'll give two answers, one sort of negative and one sort of positive. And, yes. and I, I apologize to those I offend with my negative example. And I'll try to explain it as best I can. The negative example I would offer would be the first time I played champions for an extended period of time. And the reason I say that, I love champions, great game, would love to be able to play it more often. But the player, the character building experience is so awesome and so fun and detailed and well-structured and organized. And it's such a, like, you can spend hours just sitting around building characters for, for champions. It's so fun. And then you play it and you get a chance to quote unquote level up and you realize there's really no mechanism for it. You, you, you add a point here or there. And like, I guess what I'm saying is, it made me aware that you have to be careful about sacrificing the fun of the game mechanic in the pursuit of a more realistic experience. Like the idea that you go, that you plateau for three adventures and then all of a sudden you quote unquote level uh -huh. up and everything changes is not realistic. And I get that, but it's fun. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, I found it unsatisfying to have that slow crawl kind of, well, assign a few points here and there kind of experience. Even though it makes more sense, when you level up 
and everything changes about your character. It is, as a game mechanic, it is intensely rewarding and really fun. So I really appreciate what Gary Gygax created all those many years ago and what D&D has chosen to continue to embrace um, and other games like Pathfinder continue to embrace that even if it doesn't make sense, it's a great game mechanic. Oh, yeah. That that is one of the things where I, I couldn't agree more because the thought of like, OK, so we've gone into let's just say Undermountain for the, the e- sake of ease. Mm-hmm. And we're just we're just trucking through like in in air quote, of course, heavy air quote. I don't have enough. I don't have big enough fingers, but right. reality of the game. Like It's been a week. I was like, could I could have died to a rat a week ago, and now I'm fighting God. <laughs> Conceptually, no, right. no, simply no. Um, so, so yes, I totally, totally get that feeling, and I've also experienced other games where that character creation process is so rich, so amazing that unfortunately, it it robbed Peter to pay Paul, mm-hmm. as, as it were, and then the game experience is like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll just make more characters though. Yeah, right, right. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a superhero game where you start off as basically just, you know, at most like your Hawkeye, like you're basically a person with one or two cool skills. And then 10 levels later, you get to be Superman. Like, why do all the superhero game mechanics want you to start basically as superman already like it just doesn't give you much room to go yeah even though it's really fun this really makes it makes it okay so i do another podcast about a show called young justice okay and so what they do is they between seasons there will be a time skip so like robin started as robin at the age of in in the very first season of the show he was probably like around 12 13 Mm -hmm. and now he's in his mid-20s as like full-blown nightwing like it's okay. the, so like that's that's what I'm thinking. Okay, yeah. we're built um so cut all the other stuff we said. We're building a superhero game now. And yeah, yeah uh, let's let's get the started with that. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> by the end of the podcast, we'll have put that thing together. Yes. Okay, but before then, we should jump back into lev- basically the idea that we had come up with. Yeah, okay, so hold on, hold on. Sorry. Oh, no, I, did, no. I did promise a positive answer to that. Yes, so let I'm me sorry. just give that super quick. And it's sort of a generalization, but um, when we were playing the very long form campaign of Age of Worms, which some people will know from Dragon Magazine and has always been one of our favorite adventures ever. The thing that I loved about leveling up Age of Worms is that very early on in that adventure, you know that it's leading towards something incredibly massive and powerful. Like, you you know that at the beginning, you are pawns in something that's going to be extremely large. So as you get further in that campaign, when you do start to level up into the 10th, 11th level kind of stuff, and you start to become somebody substantial, you really feel the meaning of it. Because that's when you start to feel like, oh, we we actually could be the people who face down this terror that is, you know, that is building up. And that was an exciting and empowering adventure to do that in because you had known for so long what you were going to need to be in order to complete this thing. So that's, that's memorable to me. Yeah, that I, 
I know one of the ones we've hinted at, like, and this would probably be quite a few episodes ago, the idea of introducing that level of threat and it being known to the players early on. Yeah. Like, like exactly what you're saying. Like, off in the distance, I can see a Tarrasque and it's ravaging the world. And are we the group to stop it? Right. right. But, but right now, I've just got my pitchfork and I can't <laughs> do much. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yes, level w- once again leveling up published material, um, because you're probably going to buy it. You're probably going to hear about it. You might have it digitally. You might have it physically. But the stuff that Watsi puts out is, hmm, this is this is just a fact. It is neither. It is a neutral fact. It is neither positive nor negative. It is okay. meant to the way that they write things are to be applicable to as many people as possible. Correct. They aren't those published materials aren't written for your table. Correct. They can't be to be successful. They absolutely cannot be written in that way. And so like that's the conversation that we're having because it's also this weird nebulous thing that I feel about homebrew is that everything's homebrew because you have to because you you're the only person that knows your table. You're the only, so everything's homebrew in my mind. That's, that's actually a really great way to think about it. I, th- I think you're right. And especially I think that's especially true these days. You know, we talk a lot about how back in the the Gary Gygax days, you know, most of the adventures were very linear. You know, it was you walk down a hallway, the hallway branches left and right. Which way do you go? And that was, you know, pretty much your decision making process. The the adventures, they, I, I think Watsi is really striving these days to make them more and more sort of sandbox experiences. You know, you think back to like, um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and you know, you could play through that thing a dozen times and have yeah. completely different paths um, towards that that goal, and actually completely different goals depending on what you're doing. And so, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Every experience with Waterdeep was essentially a homebrew campaign on some level or another, because between what the DM contributes and what the players contribute and what just happens to happen. Uh, or how the dice roll, uh, you know, it, it really profoundly changes. Yeah. So I have personal experience with both your, the, with the Beetle and Grimm Eberron box and the Beetle and Grimm box um, for Ghost of Salt, Salt March. Okay. Um, so, so I've seen, I, those have been in hand, on table, over Zoom, all those things. So I, I, I've seen how you've approached adding material and it's from both perspectives of adding things to a an adventure that existed and adding things to not so much an adventure that existed. Like with Eberron, there is that starter piece, but like that's very small. So figuring out how to leverage that book and put it into a campaign has been really nice because I could just read through all the extra stuff you guys did and <laughs> figure out how to like flesh out a campaign. So I've already figured out. So yeah, so it's, it's that conversation. So I guess how is how do you approach that from from even a design perspective because i think it works really well at every table looking at what's in the material and then like you said pulling out more from it okay uh yeah that's that's a really interesting question i mean uh you know our our sort of guiding principle has always been empowering the dm and, and, and that means a lot of different things. But one of the things it means is preparing them for 
when things go off the rails, for when things go in a direction they weren't expecting, you know, the, the worst experience for me as a DM have been those moments where the players make a choice that I'm completely unprepared for. And I have to make the decision of, am I going to step in and kind of strong arm them back on the rails because that's where I wanted the story to go or where I was prepared for the story to go? Uh, or am I going to let them have free will and make these choices and try to figure it out as best I can? So one of the things that we really try to do with our box sets is to prepare the DM in some ways for uh, for those eventualities where things don't go the way that they expect. And we do that in a couple of different ways. Um, one way for anybody who bought the Avernus box, there's a there's a big section in the middle of Avernus where the players are basically just out in this wasteland. It's sort of this Mad Max kind of environment and they can go any which way they want to. Huge amount of choice involved. When I read that, putting myself in the position of a DM, I found that kind of frightening because I could foresee all sorts of decisions being made where I wouldn't know what to do. So we did a couple of things. The one thing we did was we created these, um, what, what we kind of refer to as color form maps, where we have this big blank map and then we have all of these shapes of like lava flows and skull piles and uh, craters and crevices and just all the kinds of things that you would find out in that environment that are basically just kind of pull off reusable stickers that you can put down on that map. So it allows you to create almost any environment you want. So if you have players who are just wandering off in this wasteland and you just need to create a random wandering monster encounter or, you know, they're trying to do something where you need a map for it, it's very easy to improvise any kind of map you want and throw down and you can do it numerous times and come up with very different things each time. Another thing that we do with all of our box sets and we're, we're kind of taking to a new level with Ravenloft is creating bonus adventures that are sort of designed with the idea that you can drop them in at almost any point in the adventure. So they're not really anchored to a specific part so that you can, as a DM, if the players are hitting a dead end or you need to kind of redirect them in a certain way, or it's just been a long time since they've gotten a chance to fight anything and you're like, oh, these guys are getting, getting a little antsy. Cards. <laughs> Let's just throw something out there. It gives you the freedom to kind of introduce those uh, encounters almost anywhere you want. And so uh, people have found those to be very helpful in terms of, of just managing those kinds of experiences. I am one of those people. So, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So like I, like I had said, so I started a group in the Eberron campaign or the Eberron short adventure, but then I've already read through all the other stuff that's there to get, like, get good examples because part of it is also in some ways, this conversation is a little bit more helpful for a book like Eberron because all I all you would get let's say i bought it I, I go to you've definitely not gone to amazon you've gone to your local game store jeez 
No, I'm just kidding. Um, it helps support them, but uh, mainly I do that so I can get the alt covers. Um, <laughs> you say you've you've read through it, but then it's hard sometimes to be like, okay, so I have this wealth of knowledge. Or what now? Mm-hmm. How am I introducing this to my players? How am I hooking them in? How am I getting them to go further in this campaign? So I've already seen that short adventure and started to tie together like, okay, so I have these other adventures that are written by these people that I have no, I know have invested literal time, money and effort into creating it. So then how am I hooking those in further? So then I think in some ways it's also even showing me examples of how to use the book so that I can create my own things. Cause it's like you said, you're, you're, and this is what I've said of, beetle and grims before to to you and to anyone that wants to listen to me which i there's a couple people um but the idea is that beetle and grims is doing what a lot of dms do but at a production level that others can't replicate like because theoretically i can make maps yeah i i can't make maps that are that good um theoretically i can make jewelry i'm probably not going to though (laughs) so (laughs) yeah for sure for sure and listen you know, I have a very personal firsthand experience um, when it comes to Ravenloft because I'm one of the people who bought the 3.5 Domains of Dread book. And I was so excited to use that book and run adventures in the Domains of Dread. And, but as, as a DM, without a huge amount of time or resources or experience with writing my own things, I just found it overwhelming and I never used it. Yeah. I love it. It's a great book. It's fun to read. I've got it on my shelf, but I've never used it. So when we started approaching this new version, this new Ravenloft book, um, I had that very much in the forefront of my mind of how do we change that experience? How do we change this from a book that you buy and read and wish you could run into something that you can actually activate and and use at your table yeah and i mean because i because i can see it and i know it and people will know it by the time that this releases so i guess part so i know that there are four different short adventures for four different domains of dread like did you just roll dice you're like i can't i can't pick i can't pick between my babies which and just roll dice or how did how did you kind of come to the conclusion of um which ones yeah, it was it was totally a um, an inspiration thing where we just we all there, there were four of us who were going to write for it, and we just kind of said, "Look, let's let's just let it be the four places that we're most inspired to write for." You know, um, I think that's really important when you're you're trying to create content is you've got to let the content speak to you. And, and if a great idea comes to you, you don't want to be limited by, uh, well, okay, but that's kind of, you know, sort of similar to what somebody else did or what we did before, or, you know, you just want to be able to follow that inspiration. And fortunately the four of us were kind of inspired in, in different ways. And we all chose something very quickly. And we ended up with four things that are super, super different. The, the one that my brother Charlie is writing is, uh, I, I can't give too many details, but it's very Lovecraftian and just out there. Like it is crazy. 
And it's crazy fun because it's it's something that I've never seen before in a D&D campaign, which is exactly what you want out of this uh, this box and this domain in this book, because it, it's giving you the opportunity to do some really crazy stuff. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the biggest thing. I mean, surprise, you hit the nail on the head, whether it's at at Beetle and Grimm's or at your own table you need to just write into what's already speaking to you because yeah. um, one of the other one of the other ways to do it so this is what i added to salt marsh um so in, in the campaign basically they're going down river they're gonna fight thousand teeth which is like this ancient crocodile that that has way more legendary actions than they were expecting they did not appreciate that but they rolled a random encounter and with everything that's going on in the campaign so I have a mini that is this giant undead crab. Like literally okay. like the, the top piece comes off because you paint the inside and it, like you can see through the top and you see skeletons and, and treasure and stuff inside of it. Oh, that's fantastic. So the random thing that I rolled was two cultists. I was like, well, it's about to be two cultists summoning forth this thing. And those cultists are actually going to be the Sahugan, which is leading more towards how the adventure plays out. So also, I got to put this super awesome mini on the table. Right. So even like finding the inspiration there, because like I had that mini and I've never brought it to the table before, but I knew I wanted to and seeing how that that folds in um, and adding it that way, level, leveling yeah. up the experience through. through Absolutely. Through That's great. Yeah. Listen, anybody who's listening, if you have a giant undead crab mini somewhere in your in your collection, Bring it out. I don't care what adventure you're running. Just bring that sucker out, put it on the table and let them fight it. That's just not fair to keep that to yourself. And then, of course, they're like, so there's loot inside, isn't there? And I'm like, oh, well, of course there is. <laughs> but then the, but then the nice thing is also even taking. So what I did was take the skeletal. Well, I guess my players are going to figure this out. Um, so I took the skeletal juggernaut. Like there's not giant undead crab stats hanging around somewhere, but also already in that adventure was the skeletal juggernaut where it has the avalanche of bone where basically it just falls apart onto the player and then like reassembles itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So then there you go. That's what this did. So awesome. So one of the, one of the interesting things that I did also want to bring up was are there, can you think of cons for trying to do this sort of thing? Like invest, like, investing this time this effort into leveling up and planning this out but like can you think of any cons for for doing that sort of thing um and more of the i guess not even really the cons but more of things to be aware of when you're when you're approaching this kind of thing i can think of a few okay like give give, give me one so i i can get my head in that space so so one of the one of the biggest things and we we've talked about it before is that there is certainly a a method by which I could have put this undead crab onto the table and it been anything but appropriate, like forcing it. And then, oh, well, here we go. This should. Oh, by the power of the Internet. I think, you know, we, we should just end the adventure right as he joins. Yes. OK, hang up, hang up. We're hanging up. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Hello. Hey, buddy. Sorry, that was supposed to be way faster. And the way the world works, it was way longer. So I apologize. 
You're good. Welcome, 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 sir. We're already recording. We're already we're already knee deep in it. Oh, good. I can't wait. How can I catch up? Okay. Tell you all the deep dark secrets about myself. Um. No. Okay. So we had already talked. I'm just gonna hit you cold with a surprise question. So, oh, done. What What is your favorite? Or not? You know, I I I'll rephrase it. What is your most memorable level up experience in role playing games? Jeez, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't really. I'm not that smart. I don't have a good. I don't have a good memory for that sort of thing. I will say this: that I played a character uh, Beetle for years, and Beetle was obsessed with magic. He was a thief. He was a rogue, obsessed with magic. So I leveled up. I multiclassed as a, a magic as a wizard. And uh, I think that's my my memory. It's not really a good story, but that's my story. That's <laughs> no, pretty good stuff. I mean, I, I I remember that that too. That when you get to that point where you make a decision to to multiclass, or like in third edition when you would choose like a prestige class, mm, yeah. Like uh, Grim was a was a foe hunter. That was a prestige class back then, and I, I do very distinctly remember it. It, it felt like this whole new uh, almost felt like a brand new character when you chose that prestige class and started off on that new journey because it kind of changed your goals and your yeah it, it helps to, it helps to find your character. I also think it's super interesting in that you know the the I don't know the the way when you choose to multi class you're losing so it feels like you're losing so much because you're like you see ahead of like how great it could be. So I do think there was like this big choice to multi-class that I think that's the only time I've ever done it. I mean, I normally just like go whole hog in whatever class I'm playing. But yeah, it's funny. Well, that, there we go. So I guess now how do we, we're, we're jumping back backwards, back into the conversation okay. we were having. So basically yeah. it was what we've talked about thus far is leveling up the published material because Watsi writes things in a way that can meet most people where they are. It's, it's, it's not written for your table because you, the DM or the person that's going to write the things that are sure. happening at your table for your table. So the topic we were kind of approaching was like, what are some of the cons of investing all of that time? Um, and one of the things that I had mentioned for that I know comes up with a lot of DMs that we've interacted with over the years is that there's this feeling of, I guess the only way I can describe it is sadness of I've invested all this time, all this effort in this thing, and they inevitably zag and I was dead set that they were going to zig. And so right. I think that's one of the biggest cons to be aware of because I don't think it's ever actually a con. I mean, that's my personal. I also think that if you, if you invest that time, energy and effort, first of all, it, it, it's all good, right? That's all, that's all investment in the world that will pay off in different ways. And then any good DM worth their salt will find a way to bring people back, not in a railroad kind of way, but an authentic, organic way to bring that up. The ne next level, the next town over, I mean, there's, or the next adventure. Like anytime you're spending time creating, you will find a way to use it. I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, I will say um, the, the one sort of quote unquote con that I was thinking about was 
sort uh, sort of a, a, in that that you you do have to be careful about um, it becoming your story rather than their story. So you, you you do have to have you know have the ability to set your own needs and your own ego aside. Yes, I invested all this time and. Maybe I like story A better than story B, but when I'm there at the table, I do have to open myself up to the reality that it's it's my job to lay the world out. It's the player's job to tell the story. And sometimes that's going to lead them in directions that you know you may not have been hoping for. And that's always been my challenge um, as, a, as a longtime writer. I think my inclination as a DM was to tell a story. And it's it's taken me some time to adjust that way of thinking that that's not really what I'm doing. That's not my job. I think that's a good point. I, I do think that and we're talking about cons. Sorry, I went right. I tried to make the con into a no, no well, and I, but we were I hate the word con because it, it, in a lot of ways, it's almost um, caution more than con because it is like, just be aware of these things. Yeah, rather, it's the risk. You're going to be so yeah. bummed out when this happened. No, it's just, just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to be a company man, but because obviously this is the business that we're in, but, um, but that's really the only big risk that I can think of off the top of my head that that people should be aware of when they get into this sort of thing. Yeah, because like my example previously, for context, Matt, for you, I have a well, maybe no, nah, it'll be too hard to see. Um, but I have an un, a giant undead crab miniature, and I was playing through Ghost of, Ghost of Salt Marsh, uh, Silver Edition, of course, and I. Right. Um, I, I mean, I wanted to see this at the table. I mean, maybe somebody had to roll a death save. It's all good. And then the, be- the, okay. So total tangent. Uh, I'm really good at being a hype person. Um, so I had the death save die, which is a giant metal dice that they have to, that they oh, have yeah, to roll. Sure. Also, I was like, when do you do a death save? And I looked down, and I literally stand up at the table and turn around and have one of my players read the death save rules because because I have the, the original oh, death funny. save shirt on at that time. Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> but the idea that the so they roll a random encounter. I saw that it was going to be two cultists, and that was what was in my head. Like cultists, like classic. I've looked it up in the dungeon master's guide, basically or monster manual. It skulls, robes, dagger, and one of the players happens to mention, "Oh, is it a Sahugan?" Because that's where the campaign is starting to lead. And my obvious answer is, oh, yeah, it's a, it's two Sahugan cultists and they're doing this. And not for a single second had I thought that up until that moment. So I think, Bill, talking back to what you're saying is being being ready to have it change on the fly. Because there are pieces that are important and there are pieces that are not. The fact that it was a Sahugan versus a human who cares? They're like they're summoning this undead crab. We all we yeah. all know that initiative is coming. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, always you know, always chase the cool. You know, if 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 one option presents itself that's cooler than the one you had thought of the night before, go for it. Well, not only that, but I think that that's how you make it fun. I mean, I do think that. We serve the story as DMs and we serve the people around the table, but it's only fun if it's fun for you. And 
if you're just running what you've already decided, you're cutting off half of the joy. Like there's no exploration. There's no discovery. Like if you're dead set on every adventure, it's not fun for them. And it's not fun for you. It's like in improv, you know, in acting, there's a rule. Yes, and. But you can't in any sort of storytelling mode, you know, neg somebody's instincts or neg somebody's suggestions. And I think that's super true with D&D. I think that that's why, you know, that that's what makes it fun is that it's a group story. It's a group game. And that's what can continue it for years and years. I'm trying to think of like the other the other times that I've air quote leveled it up. And I guess that's a conversation is. Can you think of another time that you've added something to a campaign that wasn't already there? So like another uh, some just personal anecdotes of when you've leveled those things up. I think so. I'll throw again. I'll throw one out as an example. I think one of the absolute go to's that every DM has because every set of players is going to ask for it is, oh, cool. Can we use this as our base? Um, and then the, the level of investment that goes into that, because there's no, I don't, it's, it's rare that I've seen in a published material that like, that it basically says, yeah, this would be a great base for your players if they want it. So, and that ends up being a lot of investment and, um, yeah, we, we really leaned into that with Waterdeep. You, you had this opportunity to get the troll skull tavern and, and, uh, we, we just loved that idea and, we're actually also with the, um, we're doing these uh, player books for Pathfinder right now, these complete character chronicles books. And there's, um, you know, it's, it's a book for the player to kind of record the life of that, of one particular character. And in that book, there's a fold out page that is all just like is a big fold out graph paper page for you to draw out the floor plan for your keep. And we yeah. just love the idea of sort of encouraging people to to think about that as a possibility and what they would want, even if it's just aspirational, even if you're just drawing the keep that you would want to have. Um, that's a big that's a big fun thing. It's a big it's a big, huge book, and it's the only fold out page we have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how much we love the idea of like it's like. I mean, it's like this tome that has a fold-out page in the middle specifically to, to draw your keep, which is hilarious. Yeah. We did, so, yeah, we did, one of the things we did in uh, in our sort of, our epic campaign where we played, where Bill played Grimm and I played Beetle, is that we actually went out and bought and built a tavern called uh, the Giant's Bane. And I still have the you know the the grid paper draw, paper drawing of it with like the rudimentary. Remember, I, I on a computer program I took rudimentary shapes and oh yeah, it's like, it's like old school Photoshop or something with like circle, triangle, square. Exactly, it's exactly what it is. And like, where is the potion of healing hidden? And here is my plus two bylaws under the bar, and it's so funny. But I yeah. love that. I mean, I love the idea of spending time, energy, and effort into creating what the more we give our players the opportunity to invest energy into the story, the better the story is going to be. So giving them a keep, even if it's a basement hovel, you know, uh, or, you know, what, what, or, or it's a castle, 
like that kind of energy that they'll put into making it their own will pay off in, you know, will pay off tenfold. Yeah, I can I can see and I know I have it somewhere, but I can literally see in my mind the tavern sign that I drew because uh, I stereotypically or just typically rather play dwarves all the time and always did. I, I branched out eventually, but I always go back and there was a bar and I can like I said, I can literally see it in my mind. It was called Shorty's because um, it was also the name of a local bar. And I was a dwarf and I owned a bar. So it all came together. And like I drew like I painstakingly drew out exactly what the sign to Shorty's looked like. Oh, that's funny. That's awesome. You know, one thing uh, that comes to mind that we've we haven't gotten an opportunity to explore as much as I'd like is um is music and ambiance uh sounds. Uh, we, we did do the Sirenscape thing with Avernus, and they are amazing. They do amazing work. I love that stuff. But I just remember, like, John breaking out the the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack CD, uh, you know, at, at, at when, when we would enter a big battle. And, you know, as it's not it's not fantastic stuff but it does make a difference and uh, you know just adding those kinds of little elements um it's fun it's just it's exciting yeah. players when somebody breaks something like that out and helps keep everybody focused yeah i love sirenscape i'd love to uh i'd love to do some more some more music stuff with our boxes we gotta keep looking at that Definitely. The other good place to look is that a while ago, and I, I mean, I can definitely look it up, but there was an Eberron soundtrack. Mm. And then the funny, the funniest thing about that soundtrack, all of the audio that you hear for the Dragon Talk uh -huh. is pulled directly from that Eberron soundtrack. Oh. And so like their intro theme and like uh -huh. their bumpers and oh, stuff. That's funny. It's all that's pulled funny. from that because I was playing. So I was using the, go the gold edition of Eberron and I was doing it over Zoom. So I was like, oh, I'll get some music. And I was like, oh, man, there's this Eberron soundtrack. So I put it up and I was all uh, and like, <laughs> like all the neurons connected in my brain. I'm like, wait a minute. This is just hey, the feet. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. I'm like, oh, I guess I guess you 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 have no uh, copyright issues if you're just using it in-house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Sirenscape, though. Am I crazy? I actually think Sirenscape did that soundtrack. Uh, that I don't know. I would have to use use my Google Foo to figure it out. Because when we first went up there, Bill, to pitch, remember that they were, do, they were in the process of recording, like, org sounds for Sirenscape. Like, they were doing, like, an in-house sort of recording session. Yep. Yep. I remember that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so we're getting closer on time. So often I, I will say that we often put out a homework section. Um, it's the only fun homework a person will probably get of things to go do and experience uh, through media or other ways to kind of focus back in on this um, topic at hand. Everybody's homework this week is to make their players fight a giant undead crab. <laughs> You heard it here. I'll put uh, I'll take some really good uh, photos of the one that I have and you can just show those to your players um, as you brutally murder them. Um, so I I was just going to say to shamelessly plug both of you, you should definitely just check out what Beetle and Grimms does, because that's what I did. So 
Thank you very much. Yeah, please, please do do everybody check out the, uh, the our new our new Ravenloft box. Um, Pre-sales start on the 19th. So by the time you hear this, it will be up and available. And in the first week, I think, is it a week, Matt? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a week. In the first yep. week, we are we are giving free Ravenloft uh, t-shirts to anybody who pre-orders the Ravenloft box. So go take a look at that. It's a very cool t-shirt. I don't have mine yet. I'm not sure why that is, but I'm sure I'll have it soon. I just I just felt like the immediate answer was Bill. You know what you did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know why you don't have it. Uh, well, and the other the other thing the other thing of course is to go check out some of the other stuff that they have, um, be it the new stuff, be it the old stuff, because um, people stumbling into Dungeons and Dragons um, or running a campaign and like always thinking in the back of their mind is I would want to run Eberron. Then you still have you can still go backwards to as you and quote the dim and distant past and find other things um, there at Beetle and Grimm's uh, yeah. to, to check out. Yeah, we do have lots of boxes. We used to, you know, our company is built on a thousand boxes of uh, platinum editions and we've changed that. So we have lots of silvers, legendary straw editions back up. Um, so lots of good stuff's happening. Yep. The other thing I would always suggest is like dig around for either articles or people on YouTube um, or just kind of see what's trending in the DMs Guild area. Um, try and find something that's a little cheaper to dig in and see how someone again, someone's doing these things at this at a higher production level than most DMs are going to do at their table. But seeing how other people are inspired by that published material to like get those mental muscles going so that when that comes out and bill like you mentioned when your players inevitably do this thing or they're all in on um building shorties and making that the pinnacle <laughs> of the campaign that you're you're more prepared for who will come try and take that over or who yeah. wants to come make that be a franchise or who knows what your game will possibly turn into but yeah there's also finding- like there's also a lot of great streaming game games right now i mean black Dice yes. site yeah. started with d dave um, you know, Jason Azevedo over at Realm Smith runs a great game. Obviously, yeah. Critical Role is a huge player. Yeah, I, 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 I was thinking about that the other day uh, when we were playing with, um, with Band of Badgers, who's a lot of fun. You know, when we were growing up, I, I was the only DM I knew other than my brother. You know, like I learned kind of from him and he kind of just kind of figured it out. The great thing about streaming right now is that you can log on to 10 different streams and watch 10 different DMs run a game in an, in a very profoundly different way. Yeah. And it really opens up your mind to maybe I want to run a game that's a lot more kind of silly and comedic, or maybe I really like the games that are really serious and, and take the period seriously and, have lots of music and ambiance and you know like there's there's so many different ways to go and as we were talking about earlier you got to follow your bliss it's got to be fun for you as a dm so find the way that speaks to you that that is going to encourage you to take it to a next level invest the time invest the energy invest your own excitement and that excitement will be contagious your players will be more excited about following you on that journey uh, when they see how excited you are. Yeah, I totally agree with that. 
yeah, as as is often, I feel like it's maybe less as D and D hits. It's more of a mainstream. Um, but the number one question always uh, that I would get from people that aren't quite as aware is, "Well, did you win?" And like as yeah. a dungeon master, my my go to is always like, I would look to the other people at the table. I'm like, "Did you all have fun?" And if they say yes, then the answer is yes. I did in fact win. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. So to to close this out, where can people go to find? all of the awesome things that you are doing. Um, and definitely everything that is about to be stated is of course going to be in the show notes, but maybe you don't like show notes. Maybe you just want to hear it, remember it and go type it in yourself. Absolutely. Just go to beetleandgrims.com and uh, you can, you can see everything there that we have available. Uh, we're also really fun to follow on tr- Twitter. Jason, uh, our, our boy, Jason does a fantastic job of running our Twitter account and, that's another great way to find out what everybody else is doing in this community because uh, there's there's lots of really interesting, diverse voices in the role playing game community, and uh, and and as as averse as I am to to social media, uh, Twitter is a, a wonderful way to to see where other people are taking this big imaginative game that we're all in. And where, and where can people find you on Twitter, Bill? They can find me at gobackyourself.com. <laughs> Bill doesn't believe in the uh, the magic of Twitter. I am Matthew Lillard. You can find me at MatthewLillard.com. Uh, not MatthewLillard.com, but Matthew Lillard on Twitter and on social. And then Beetle and Grimm's. Uh, and I'm currently on a show called Good Girls on NBC, which Bill loves just as much as he loves Twitter. <laughs> 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 I'm equally committed to both things. Oh, I'm equally committed to both things. Well, I am overly committed to both things. And Neil, where can we find you? If you head over to Twitter, you can find me at Jote Maniac. That's Jack of All Trades, Master of None, IAC. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, but yes, I absolutely love Good Girls, and I was watching it last night. So. Oh, thanks, Neil. I'm I'm behind. What happens? Do I make it? Well, uh, you're. <laughs> I I love the idea that that you. I love also love that that's theoretically possible. People production is nuts, where they'll record multiple different things, and the actor does in fact not know whether or not they make it until no. later. I um, do, I do know. I do know. That no, I know. Still alive, as of right now, as far as you know. Yes. It's a coin flip every episode. They're like, eh, should we? Should we not? Uh, but no, I absolutely adore that show. Um, and oh, thanks, man. Glad it's Thank on you. Netflix so then I can watch it yeah. that much easier. That's a real friend. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks for having us, Neil. Really appreciate it. Sorry I was late. I was, I was donating blood. Perfect. Thank you. And we will definitely have to have you both back on. Yes, please. Awesome. We just want to thank Bill and Matt for coming on and spending some time. If you want to get a hold of us and let us know how you've been leveling up your published material, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. As always, you can head to your podcatcher of choice, give us a five-star review, and we'll read it on air. You can check out the show notes, where to follow us on social. And as always, we are a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out all of our other amazing shows. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil, good night, good luck, and keep 
on Dungeon Master. Goodbye.